Welcome to Globally Minded Medicine, a podcast of quick reviews and helpful tips on medical topics, cultures, customs, and sustainable practices that are applicable at home and abroad. The opinions expressed are our own and do not represent those of our schools or our employers and are not meant for medical advice. It's just a little education and global exploration. Welcome to Globally Minded Medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Mark, and joining me today are Nicole and Jeff. We are very excited to have both of you here today. Thank you. So excited to be here. Grateful to be here. Thanks for having us. So what topic are you bringing to us today? Sure. So we're discussing climate change and healthcare and the impact that these things have on certain communities around the world. Perfect. Uh, And why is this important um, specifically for us in global medicine? Sure. So as we all know, climate change is a huge topic of conversation right now. Globally, it's really important. Um, And I guess we're not really um, noticing the impact that it can have on health and especially in populations of poor income countries, indigenous people. Um, And we really need to understand why it's important to start taking action. Um, The World Health Organization met recently to discuss actions that we can take, just to put into perspective how important this conversation is. Um, They released a statistic that said that 250,000 additional deaths per year will occur from malnutrition, malaria, diarrhea, heat stress, all between 2030 and um, 2050. And these numbers are really important and demonstrate the shift that we need to have and the critical kind of call for help that the world is is, uh, declaring that we need to take global action. And in addition to the World Health Organization, there's another group that follows the effects of climate change and health, and they're known as the National Institute of Environmental Health Sciences. They aim to discover how the environment affects people in order to promote healthier lives. So they have quite a few research ventures, but one I found intriguing was their study surrounding air pollution and respiratory ailments. It isn't a secret that particulates and smoke and pollution aren't great for us or for our patients, but what was surprising was the data surrounding rural communities outside city areas. In this study, they looked at fine particulate matter in air, um, which is 30 times thinner than human hair and can be inhaled, and fine particulate matter accounts for most health effects due to air pollution in the U.S., So in this study, they compared the concentrations of fine particulate matter in rural areas of Washington state to the city of Seattle. And they found that there wasn't much difference between the two in terms of, you know, the concentration of fine particulate matter. And then they further listed that rural children were seen with symptoms of wheezing, nighttime waking, and limited exertion on activity. And that's just one example through the NIEHS there's more emerging evidence-based conclusions from studies and research that you can find on their webpage. And although we in the United States have a developed healthcare and public health system, we still see tremendous discrepancies for rural and indigenous communities who are at greater health risk due to climate change. And we as physicians and future physicians really need to be asking this question of why. Yeah. Absolutely. It shouldn't be surprising to listeners of the podcast, because I feel like we bring it up almost every episode, how much the uh, poor, the marginalized, uh, the remote populations are 
disproportionately affected by things of this nature. And um, thank you for sharing the, those studies and those comments as well. We'll put links to these things in our show notes so that you can uh, look at them, look them up and uh, check them out as well for those interested in that. But it, it's just super interesting. And I think sometimes we take it for granted, this, this bridge or connection that there is between our own health and the environment and climate and, and the balance that exists in that. Yeah, there's actually a term for this idea of how human health and nature are intertwined. And it's known as a philosophical perspective called deep ecology, which was coined in 1972 by a Norwegian philosopher named Arne Ness. And so, it also happens to be Nicole's favorite word, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's my new favorite term. I'm going to use it everywhere. Deep All the time. Yeah, <laughs> So deep ecology was forefronted by people who spent a great deal of their time outdoors. You know, they were mountain climbers, hikers, people who just really loved being outside. And they saw changes to the environment as a threat to humanity. Some of them actually even went on to start companies and businesses that support this perspective. You know, companies like Patagonia and the North Face, etc., so this philosophy emphasizes the intrinsic value of living beings and ecosystems, going beyond a shallow or anthropocentric view of the environment. It's this bridge that you had mentioned, where there's a focus on the chemical and physical science aspect from nature affecting human health. Yeah, and as osteopathic physicians, um, one of our values is using medicine to treat our patients. That's through mind, body, spirit. And really, I think these items fuel our studies. They fuel our passion to become physicians, to care for um, no matter what patient walks through the door and caring for those in our communities. So this principle of deep ecology really takes it a step further. It makes us recognize the importance of the relationship between the natural world that nurtures our beings and that we take advantage of every single day um, and our health and well-being. And so on a day-to-day basis, we may not recognize how we are affected by the environment, but it's really prevalent in communities of lower income countries. There are huge discrepancies for populations who are at greater health risks due to climate change. There's because of factors like clean air and pollutants, safe drinking water, food resources, secure shelter and habitat destruction. Yeah, that's so true and such a powerful topic to to bring to the podcast. I'm just so grateful you both brought this in here. And that connection we have with nature, I mean, it's just so innate. When we're feeling down, when we're feel, feeling blue, what do we do? We go outside, we just try to get a little fresh air, right? It's just part of how we've all grown up. Um, I teach topics on burnout and the importance of going into nature to do that. And if we don't preserve that connection, uh, I think we really put our, our mental health and our physical health at risk. So again, thank you both for, for bringing this in. Um, one of the other questions I have is, um, you know, what are some of the more specific negative effects that we've seen in our communities due to climate change that we need to be worried about? Well, we see that with rising temperatures, altered rainfall patterns and changing ecosystems, there is an increase in the spread of malaria, for one, and other vector carry diseases such as Zika virus and dengue fever. 
And then warmer temperatures also provide more favorable environments for ticks. You know, longer and warmer seasons mean ticks can expand their active season as well. So we see more incidents of certain diseases, such as Lyme disease, Rocky Mountain spotted fever, babesiosis, and that's just to name a few. And the population that tends to be most affected by these diseases are those of rural and indigenous communities, where there tends to be physician shortages or a lack of access to healthcare and health-related resources. And additionally, looking at these indigenous communities, there tends to be little to no separation between the land and medicinal practices and their way of life. So a decline to their use of natural medicine and healing practices from the land is devastating. And if we were to take a look outside of these tribal communities, we see this trend. And this is once again coming from the NIHS um, that I'm pulling this from that a surge in air pollution triggers a cascade of adverse events for vulnerable populations, such as you know pregnant women and their unborn or older adults in their golden years. And this effect is worldwide. Yeah, um, and this is very aware. The CDC has emphasized the urgent need to address air pollution, allergy, uh, allergens, these vector carry diseases that just mentioned, food and waterborne illnesses, wildfires, floods, and temperature extremes that are only getting worse from here on out. Um, I mean, it feels like every week, especially when it starts becoming summer in um, the United States, we're seeing more floods, wildfires. We've had record-breaking snow here in Utah that are causing huge floods. So these climate changes have strong impact on individuals' well-beings um, as populations are being displaced, dealing with heat stress and food and water scarcity, just to name a few. Beyond these physical manifestations, it's also really detrimental to mental health. Um, and we see these effects really devastating populations in lower income countries uh, and worldwide. And I recently read more about like Israel follows kind of changes in their populations. And I've been reading that their um, temperatures are rising actually like two times increased rate compared to other places in the world. And so they're really kind of studying this and seeing what they can, the different like changes that they can make. Um, and they've seen that this rise in heat has correlated with hospital admittance. Along with this heat, you're getting a greater incidence of vector-borne diseases, um, and also it's affecting elderly, chronically ill, ethnic and cultural minorities, foreign indigenous um, populations, and they're disproportionately affected. The separation is getting bigger, um, and I think looking at a place like Israel, we can really see it on a smaller scale of how it's affecting the population. So it's really important that we look for solutions to help these communities that don't have resources um, to avoid the disastrous con consequences of climate change that we will see ultimately will happen unless we do some preventative action. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we've, we've heard of um, malaria carrying mosquitoes that now are able to reach higher elevations due to these things. Like, like Jess was talking about the spread of, of boundaries of vectors that used to be a little more contained. Now they're able to go into more areas because of the change in temperatures. And, you know, there are literally countries at risk of being eliminated because they are, you know, so low sea level. And as those water rises, they literally can just wipe out these entire countries. 
So incredibly serious implications, as you've mentioned. Um, what changes are we starting to see that are being implemented on a, on a global scale to combat this? Yeah, so there has been conversation. Um, the World Health Organization met last month at a roundtable discussion. Um, they talked about global climate action and what steps need to be taken next. So kind of the three main things they discussed was recognizing the repercussions from climate change crisis, how to start building resilient health systems, and also the health advantages that can stem from a low-carbon society. So it's really important, and they're the who and CDC, they're starting to understand how important it is to get ahead of irreversible disaster and prioritizing our shifts and engaging in important conversations. Going back to what I mentioned about Israel, they're prioritizing policy recommendations that address these needs, especially for populations at risk. There's a movement through the Ministry of Welfare there where they have brought up this idea of engaging in home and telephone visits. So no longer relying on your family's checking in on you. Rather, there's actually people in, within the government that will check in with populations at risk. So elderly, um, poor, and ethnic minorities. And they're emphasizing having those checks so that, you know, when there's a heat a heat wave and there's days on end with no, no break in the heat and these people have no access to healthcare, so they're getting check, checked in on, and also they're emphasizing educating healthcare providers on these in increased risks. So we're seeing the road to change um, in Israel through this Mediter Mediterranean action plan. Um, so there really are different programs that they're instilling. Um, for example, in polluted streams, they're turning these streams into fresh water, which is really important there because there's a decrease in um, fresh water. And they're doing this by shutting down illegal dump stations and replacing them with environmentally safe landfills. They're also uh, providing grants to companies that are monitor monitoring pollution treatment facilities and environmentally friendly technology and materials. So discussions have began. And I guess the smaller scale that I'm mentioning, it's just showing that we can instill change and that we'll see results from them. So, you know, it's important to start acting on this and implementing these changes even on a global level. That's exactly right. And Nicole had mentioned this movement on a global level, you know, addressing climate change. And there are multiple groups and organizations doing just that. One in particular is known as the Indigenous Climate Hub, and they provide access to <clears throat> climate change resources and other tools for Indigenous peoples. One in particular is the Inuit, just as an example, but they also work with other tribal nations. And they do that to monitor and adapt to the changing climate. There's another group called Grassroots International with a mission that addresses the root cause of injustice. And they um, build alternatives that nurture both ecological equality and human rights. And these are just a couple of examples, but we're seeing that, you know, some people aren't waiting for world leaders to give them an official decree to do something you know, some of these organizations began 30, 40 years ago, and they're determined to protect the environment and subsequently protect the health of their community. That's so good. Um, and it's so important to address this as a global community, but also in these smaller organizations that can, can create this grassroots. And we've talked on the on the podcast before about other sustainable activities that we could do, little things that we do on an individual level, but um, but these things that, that you're 
discussing on a more widespread uh, global level are so are so important. So moving forward, are there action items that we can do as uh, individuals, um, as part of the uh, medical community? Well, I would say being proactive is essential to moving forward. We can also approach healthcare as a human right. You know, another step is using public health initiatives to promote holistic and preventative medicine. One of the osteopathic tenets that we mentioned before is interconnectedness. And we as physicians and future physicians can recognize that climate change impacts extend beyond isolated medical issues. When we look at medicine as a tool to improve overall health, as opposed to a means to an end in treating a symptom, we see more of a mindful shift in how we view some diseases and preventable chronic conditions, especially through the lens of a patient. I think it accounts for broader ecological and social factors that contribute to health outcomes as well. And this involves not only treating the individual patient, but also advocating for environmental policies that promote you know, sustainability, supporting community resilience, and also raising awareness about preventative measures. And this kind of leads to my next point, which is to educate ourselves and to educate others about the health impacts for climate change. Change doesn't come if we don't know what needs to be done. Yeah, um, just to your point, Jess, like it's so important to have these conversations uh, on a smaller scale with our friends, families at home, and also beyond. Like, if we don't talk about it, then no change will happen. So yeah, I think some other things that we can do are just be environmental stewards on an individual level and advocate for these policy changes. So on a daily life for an individual, like we can go a long way in our impact on the environment by reducing our carbon footprint. So some actions we can do are using less single-use plastic, like beyond water bottles, even just takeout food, like those all come in plastic containers. We can reuse those at home rather than just dispense of them. Um, driving less, like walk or bike to school, if that's an option for you. Donating clothes. Um, I know there was another podcast episode on this, like there's a lot of clothing waste and being able to recycle the clothing that you have or donate it in ethical ways is really important. Um, remaining cognizant that we only buy what we truly need, like remain aware of that. Don't just, we all have bouts where we go on in the internet and are stressed and we just want to go buy a bunch of things. That's just natural, <laughs> you know? So maybe wait one day and think about it and be like, do I actually need this? On a policy level, reaching out to local and national government officials, you can call or email them directly, you can attend local town halls and make your voice heard. It's um, one of the per like most important action actions to have is just raise awareness, have these conversations and believe in yourself and that your words will, your words and actions will lead to change. I'm just going to end with the, one of my favorite quotes by Dr. Jane Goodall. Uh, she says, what you do makes a difference and you have to decide what kind of difference you want to make. That's so good. Thank you both for bringing this important topic to the podcast. Uh, I so appreciate your time and all of the efforts you put into looking this up and to uh, presenting it. And we're going to have all of those links to additional information and to some of the things that we shared here in the show notes for those that want to dig a little deeper. Thank you again. Thank, Thank you. you.
All right, let's wrap up the episode with our famous couplet. If you understand the climate health connection, you're moving in the right direction. And you might be globally minded. Stay globally minded, my friends. <laughs>